Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to our show this week. question that's been asked is, if you don't get to hear us on the air, can you play our podcast? Please do. They're out there on pretty much every podcast network that there is. Apple, Google, iHeart, Media, Captivate. Wherever you go to listen to podcasts, look up User-Friendly 2.0. You do need the 2.0, otherwise you're going to get some other things. But we'll still be on the list. So check it out. Let us know what you think of that. Got a great show for you this week. And with no further ado, let's do the news. Today's news is brought to you by Athenium Technology Group. Nobody helps remote workers and their businesses be more effective and productive than Athenium Technology Group. Contact us today at 503 503- 3003687 for a complimentary review of your voice and collaboration expenses www.atheniumtechnology.com so what's in the news AT&T Warner Brothers and Discovery merger yeah this is kind of a big deal um to me it's kind of changed a a number of things with some of the projects I'm working on, and I know this is affecting a lot of different things. The ultimate goal of this, or what actually happened, is about three years ago, AT&T bought Warner Media, or Warner Brothers and Warner Media now, for some reason. And even Mm -hmm. at the time, there was a lot of question into this, is why is the phone company buying a (laughs) video production house? So, But under the previous CEO and board of directors and stuff, it was the thing to do. $180 billion later, they owned Warner Brothers or Warner Media. And just admitted this week that it was the biggest mistake they've ever made. Uh Uh-huh. Now, I like Warner Brothers. I think they do good work. That's not the issue. The issue is, is why would a company whose business model is 5G and phones and internet and so on do that? So, and, And that's kind of what it's coming down to. So they're spinning it off. And they're losing quite a bit of money. I want to say about $100 billion in the spinoff is the value loss that's been created. And merging it to form a new company, which they're going to announce the name of, where it's going to be a combination of Discovery Networks, which is like your HDTV and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and then Warner Media. The idea being is they want to create a streaming platform that actually can compete with things like Netflix or Disney+. Plus. Now, having that much assets behind them of movies and scripted reality and all that kind of stuff, I think that they could be headed in a good direction with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's definitely kind of upended everything. Biggest loser on this merger, they're saying, is Comcast. And it's because they kind of did the same type of thing with uh, their networks, but have been having some difficulty breaking into the streaming space. They've been able to do it, but not uh, as much as one would think. So interesting to see where this kind of goes, but that's what's going on. And it is definitely a big shakeup in the entertainment industry. Amazon Ring is the largest surveillance network in the U.S. Yeah, interesting little topic here, and it actually <laughs> turns out to be pretty true. Now, it is one that we choose to be a part of. Right. And one of the th- where this goes is that with your Ring devices, you can opt into letting law enforcement watch the videos and that kind of thing. But whereas when they've tried to do surveillance, you've had cameras on the street corners and different things like this. This is something that's on everybody's house. And the ring doorbell on everybody's porch that uses these type of things, but it also gets expanded to there where there's surveillance cameras around the house, all kinds of other things. So it is definitely something to think about. I use ring. I like it. I haven't had a problem with it. 
But it definitely is interesting to think about the whole kind of big brother thing when it comes down to all this, because every video is being stored to a remote location. While you do have a choice to opt in or not, it still is being stored to a remote location. And once you do opt in, you're opted in. So you can't pick and choose what's shared at that point. Either it's it's kind of an all or nothing thing. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. Engineers harvest Wi-Fi signals to power small electronics. What exactly does that mean? So this is an interesting thing. What it is, is a group of engineers have looked at the amount of Wi-Fi signals that are around us. And there are a lot. And Wi-Fi is used, of course, to access the internet networks and all that kind of stuff over a wireless platform. But there is energy in these signals, radio energy to move them, transmit them, all that kind of stuff. And what these researchers have done is said, hey, can we harvest the power that's within the actual signal? And the answer to that turns out to be yes, and they've come up with a proof of concept to be able to do it. (laughs) Now, this isn't going to power your whole house or anything like that, but the electrical cord is sometimes called the last cord on our devices. It's the one that we can't cut yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can charge batteries and all that kind of stuff, but you still eventually have to recharge. And this has the potential of being able to do a lot of that, uh, kind of a wireless power idea. The technology for that does exist, but the problem is is that the ways that they've done it have not been safe or it has been too energy intensive. So in other words, it uses a lot more energy to create the wireless energy than what you're able to consume from it. This is harvesting an energy that's already around us, for one thing. So we're not introducing new, uh, new wavelengths signal. or signals or anything yeah. like that. And the other side of it is, is the electricity to produce it has already been used for the Wi-Fi internet signal. So it's a very green energy in the sense that you're harvesting something that's already out there and not creating the need to get more energy. So we'll see if this ever makes it into something that we're going to see. This is not something you can go buy at the big box store yet. But it is definitely interesting to see it actually working as a proof of concept. Star Trek Discovery rated worst CBS show. Yeah, that topic was not surprised. I was going to ask you your opinion here, Gretchen, just a minute. uh, (laughs) Sorry. um, It is definitely uh, something that, you you know, I've watched it. I tried to watch it. I tried to like it. I kind of have to agree with the whoever came up with the survey and rated it. Now, Gretchen, go ahead. I know you did, too. Uh, I actually saw um, the Doomcock guy. Uh, he's, like, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And he w- he had a huge chart of all the CBS shows. that, And um, this was on the bottom. Right. And he, made, he was like, I knew it from the beginning. It, it was horrible, you know, and he went on. And I'm like, yeah, I, I saw the first episode, hated mm-hmm. it. Um, we actually, um, Jeremy tried to watch two more episodes yep. and hated it. Yep. And then we thought, well, okay, maybe it was just the very beginning. Cause you know, um, uh, the next generation yeah. first season was a little stiff. So I thought, okay, why don't we go further in and see if we can find anything? Nope. Still hated it. So <laughs> yeah, I, you know, my one comment on it is I don't think the writing was all that bad. From that standpoint, purely that standpoint, I think there are some redeemable things. But what got me was the amount of changes that were made to the characters. But that is writing. Yeah, well, I, I hate to tell you, that but, is writing. But that was something that was just, I, I, from the first episode forward, was trying to even just connect everything to what the Star or, or Star Trek, in this case, franchise is supposed to be, what yeah. you remember, and yeah, it's going to be different. And now, I'm not a fan of the reboots of the Star Trek movies either. 
and it's for a very similar thing. It seems like everything around you is different, although I got to say with them, I think whoever did the casting should win every award that there is to for casting. Yeah, the actors was, are really good. The actors mm-hmm. were amazing. But, um, but they're you know, always blowing up the Enterprise. Yeah, we're blowing up the Enterprise in every episode, and it was very it boring. Yeah. It, it was a very – Star Trek has always been the future can be great. Things are going to get better. I think this year we especially need that kind of a thing. Uh-huh. And uh, for what they did with the movies, it just completely went in a different direction. Vulcans destroyed and all this stuff. And just not stuff that you'd really want to see in Star Trek, well, at least that the, I wouldn't. Even the Picard uh, thing, miniseries, or whatever you want to call it, that was very sad and dark. Yeah, it was. Uh, now, I will say one thing, though. I actually did like it. Uh, which is a very different attitude than I have towards Discovery. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, Picard did have, it's definitely, you do not want to watch that if you're depressed. No. However, mm-hmm. as far as story writing and all that kind of stuff goes, you're either going to like it or you're hate it. But I would recommend that one, at least trying it. Discovery, on the other hand, is like, uh, I, I don't know if you even need to need to go there. Well, anyway, we uh, we have a great show for you this week, and I promise it's not depressing. actually we've got some really good stuff so we'll be back after the break we're going to do an extended Q&A we're going to be talking about Android and some of the new things that we're going to be seeing coming up to that we'll be back after the break This is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome back to the show. This last week wrapped up Google I.O. 2021. And they had a lot to talk about because Google I.O. 2020 got canceled due to the pandemic. We were actually going to go. This year was a virtual conference, but they still talked about a lot of these different things. Now, the three of us did get to go to their other technology show earlier in the year, I remember. And that was kind of cool. Yeah. Down in yeah, San it was. Francisco. So, uh, you know, this was in before the pandemic hit. So. Google, we know, puts on good shows, and from that kind of a standpoint, that's nice. But uh, they had, like I said, they had a lot to talk about this year. The biggest thing seems to be Android 12 and announcing this is their biggest visual update in a very long time for Android and is definitely something that uh, is going to, I think, make it a lot more modern, but it also is going to change the way in some ways that the Android phone works. And okay. I know that causes a lot of frustration sometimes. Uh-huh. Sometimes, yeah, especially yeah. when you have seniors that you have to train on these phones. So it's <laughs> some of the things they're doing do seem like it's an extension. You can change your system colors to better match your wallpaper. Uh, you know, some things like that. There's new privacy huh. features, privacy dashboard. They just launched the beta, so I would have to check that out and see what um, it's going to actually have in it. It'll ultimately work for all phones. They're saying with uh, they're currently running Android 11. And they can be upgraded from there. So that's kind of where it goes. Now, Android, when it launches out updates, isn't always at the same time. It usually goes to Pixel first and then other manufacturers after that. Some of the other things they're putting in is a thing called Smart uh, Canvas, which uses a technology to be able to start a video call from inside something like Google Docs. Really? So the ability really to be able to work between different products and make that a little more seamless. And those type of features are interesting. Google and Samsung announced that they're merging Wear OS and Tizen. Tizen was the Samsung 
wearable operating system for smartwatches and that type of a thing. So they're going to be combined into a unified platform, which will be interesting. The one thing about Samsung's platform is it always has better battery life. So I have a feeling that that's one of the things that we're going to uh, bring here. Another feature they're creating, which is very interesting, is a thing called Project Starline. Mm -hmm. And the person you're talking to over this shows up in a 3D model, almost holographic. And they're getting the technology for this to work where it will work actually over the phone. So it's the feeling of a face-to-face meeting, but still on a screen. And uh, I don't know, from what I saw on the demo of this, it almost has a Star Wars-esque idea to it. Okay. It, it is in color, though. Uh, Star Wars never developed color color video conferencing for some reason. Uh, actually, actually, they, they did. Oh, okay. They do have color. It, that, it's just, right. it's the holocom system, it, there's two different kinds. There's the one that's like a traditional blue and white, and then there's the other ones that are full color. Yeah, okay. but it's, since, since it's transparent, it's harder to see. So, in any event... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I had a feeling I would get a good answer on that. Well, but uh, the beginning of this to actually have it in real life is something that they're launching here, which is kind of cool. It does take some specialty equipment, uh-huh. and work, and that type of a thing, but uh, nevertheless... So, our, our, our version of our uh, phones probably wouldn't do it. It would probably be the most latest, greatest kind? I would imagine, uh, maybe to even see it initially, and ultimately whether the technology is going to be built into a phone or not still is to be seen. <laughs> so Wow. Anyway, they're upgrading the camera so that it's more inclusive of skin tone. This actually has been an issue. Really? And uh, so enhancements to phone cameras have been a big deal. I mean, it's absolutely amazing yeah. what you can do with this. Another thing that we're getting is that you're going to be able to make animated photos from still shots by morphing them together. Kind of like an animated GIF kind of idea. Oh, yeah. That's cool. So, you know, that's coming. And... uh Other security enhancements, which I think are kind of a little bit overdue, the ability to lock a folder on your phone. That's cool. This is an idea that we've had on desktops, Windows, Mac OS forever, and it uses the touch sensor with your fingerprint or other code or something like that to unlock. And that way you can store stuff that's encrypted on the phone. So if the phone gets lost or someone else is using it, they're not able to get into everything and you're able to secure some of that even cool. though the phone may be open. so Now, here's another update that Google's talking about, and I'm not quite sure how this would work. They talked about it, but there was no demo, is that you can change your passwords from Google's password manager in Chrome. So the huh. way this was explained is any website, now again, I don't know how this would work, but any website that uses a password, you can go into this one spot and update it without having to go to that individual website. Now, on the face of it, that sounds like an extremely convenient feature, but as a programmer, you would Mm -hmm. almost have to implement something into the website in order for it to be able to be compatible. But again, Google does some amazing things, so we'll see where that goes. I I don't know. What do you think of that? I don't know. It almost sounds like there'd have to be an agreement between the Google site and the site that you're trying to change the password with. Yeah, and that's... uh, that's kind of my thought on it, too. You have to have the databases being friendly with each other, yeah. so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. have a handshake that they're willing to do that. Yeah, and I, I would see no problem with implementing that into a website. It would seem like a, a nice feature to have. But, um, you know, so we'll see where that goes. Some announcements, takeaways from it. There's now over 3 billion active Android devices globally. Cool. Uh, so that's a lot, just in case you're yeah. wondering. Um, <laughs> what do you think about it? 
Uh, some of the other things that they're looking at doing is they're creating a standardization for digital car keys that's actually secure. So you can lock and unlock your car with your phone. Oh, boy. And uh, BMW signed on to support this. I'm sure others will. That was the one that they were talking about. Uh, another feature that's kind of cool, another thing they announced is they're updating the photo system so that you can actually identify skin conditions using your camera. Hmm. Huh. So you take wow. a picture and the, it's able to actually process that. So I photograph my mosquito bite and yeah. then the doctor can go, yeah, that's a mosquito bite. Yep. It's, <laughs> exactly. Well, the phone would tell you that. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah, the so phone would tell me that? Yes. Yeah, so this is a mosquito bite, not oh. a rash. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay. And, uh, but if you photographed a rash, conceivably, it would tell you what it is, too. Now, again, the phone is not a replacement for the doctor, of course. Yeah, well, but, yeah, we uh, have to say that. Just like the smartwatch isn't a replacement for the doctor, but having some mm -hmm. things that can give you a little bit earlier warning, and a lot of people don't like to go to the doctor, at least initially. So something like this could have the ability to say, hey, you know, this is something you actually do need to get dealt with, or at least tell you what it is, and uh, yep. let you know if it's if it's something to worry about. I don't know. I miss the physical shows. I have to say I'm to that point. And even well, the, it'd be nice to be able to sit across from you again. Yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, I mean the the physical uh, 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 conference, the events. Yeah. yeah, that too. You know, and uh, not only sit across from you, be able to see all this stuff in person and all of that. And I think we're headed back in that direction now. But it was nice to at least see the show happen again in some capacity. And we're going to be covering the Game Developers Conference virtually. There's still a few. I know that. Um, the Comic-Con in San Diego in July is virtual. It seems like August is when the in-person events kick back in. And as long as things continue to get better, it's looking like this is going to happen. So it still makes for a very, we're not 100% sure where all this is going to go, but there probably will be some in-person stuff this fall. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. And as long as it's safe, I'm going to be there. Yeah. You know, it just, uh, I'm just ready to go. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Boy, has this been a week for cryptocurrency. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> What exactly is cryptocurrency, and why do we even need it? Uh, well, okay, the latter part of that question uh, I'll get to in a minute. <laughs> okay. Because um, <laughs> there is a certain amount of opinion in there. But to answer the question for what it is, a 10,000-foot view, it's basically a form of commodity exchange that uses tokens, uh, whether this is Bitcoin or one of the other ones, that are exchanged for services or products or that type of thing with anybody that will accept and honor the electronic coin. So a couple of things that go along with this is that when you see articles about various cryptocurrencies, you might see a picture of a coin. None of that exists. There's no actual physical anything that goes along with this. And it is something that is completely virtual and online and is a situation, and this is one of the bigger concerns about it, isn't really backed by anything. So, you know, currencies will be backed by a government or backed by gold or whatever. And this isn't quite the case here. Okay. Uh, can I bring up something? Sure. Did, wasn't the, the, the first Great Depression in the 1929 caused by 
things not being completely backed by something real. Well, to take that even a step further, every currency that's been made in the history of humans that we know about that isn't actually backed by anything has not lasted. So that's not a good bode for <laughs> this stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the differences is it does do some things quite well, and one of them is international commerce. The other thing is, is being able to be used online, since, of course, it's designed directly for virtual transactions and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be adapted. It's already there. But yes, Gretchen, like you say, there are a lot of concerns that a lot of people have on this. And that is a big part of them. One of the other parts of it, too, is the environmental impact it's having. Really? Yeah. And this is, you think virtual, there's no printing, that kind of thing. But in a lot of countries, it's doubling the power consumption to run the data centers required to run the blockchains. uh, And I'll explain that in a minute that run the cryptocurrency. So blockchain, which is a buzzword that you'll hear going along with this, is a way of recording the cryptocurrency transactions. And from a engineering standpoint, it's a distributed network. It's harder to hack that way. If one section of it gets in trouble, another part of it will take over. So equipment failure, all that kind of stuff, it works well for. But you need these giant server farms that not only mine the cryptocurrency, which is the process of getting it in the first place, but also handle the blockchain and the transactions and that type of thing. And they're concerned about the carbon footprint it's creating because of the amount of electricity it's creating. There are some countries where it's actually been accused of overloading the power grid and causing blackouts because the power grid doesn't account for the need for that. And then these giant server farms will come online for the purpose of doing cryptocurrency and cause those kinds of an overload. Well, you'd also need some pretty intense security for those locations. Yeah, all the way around when you think about it. I mean, you know, not just the value of the equipment, but also what it's doing. And it's just, you know, it's a situation that I think going forward, there might be a place for virtual currencies in the world. I never did believe it was worth $60,000 a coin. And yeah. it seems like the rest of the world is agreeing with us on that right now. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I never, you know, it just, it, it's a situation where, these type of things, I, I, you know, if, and if it's a fad, that's going to be a concern because there's a lot of people investing <laughs> in this. And one of my best things that I can offer as a technology person is if you are going to invest in any cryptocurrency, only use money that you can afford to lose. Yeah, agreed. Just, Absolutely. Don't use the rent money. Use the same money that you would go and gamble at a slot machine in Las Vegas right now because that's about where this seems to be. The experts don't even know where this is going to you know, end up. And there's a chance that it's going to make buco bucks. But on the flip side, there's an even bigger chance that it won't, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, Jeremy, in, in all serious. Oh, you know, the other thing, too, is the non-fungal token thing. We have a little bit of time mm-hmm. left here. And I know that, that is just the biggest thing. I, yeah. I don't understand it at all, except that it just doesn't make any sense as to why that's necessary. So an NFT or non-fungal token is a virtual thing that exists within a blockchain that supposedly can't be duplicated. And they're using it right now to distribute artwork. The RSA conference that's happening this week on cybersecurity has kind of really said this is, uh, you know, not kind of ridiculous, actually, I think was the word they used. But on the same Mm -hmm. token, every piece of artwork that they've people have been spending $60,000 plus for, I've been able to download. 
So I don't know what's up with that. I mean, you know, it's just uh, yeah. maybe it's like a collector thing, like a virtual version of a trading card. But we'll see where that goes. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. This is our question and answer segment, our Q&A as we call it. This is where you ask questions and we answer them. How do you send the questions? I'm glad you asked. Give us a call, 503-766-6264. That's one way. The other way to do it is to use this newfangled thing called social media, one user friendly <laughs> on Facebook and one user friendly on Twitter. I don't know how newfangled that is, Gretchen, but... Uh, no, it's, no, it's, it's not it newfangled. It's it like 10 years the, old. Yeah, it might be waning now, actually, you know, yeah. when you think yeah. about it. But yeah. um, either way, we're there, and uh, you can definitely look us up. UserFriendlyNation.com is the website. All right, well, on that, what are our questions for today? What happens if you don't accept a software policy or privacy use? Well, I don't know. I've never had the courage to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have, and then I just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, there's, you know, this this obviously depends and it can change from program to program or site to site or whatever. In most cases, what happens is you simply can't use whatever resource you're trying to get to. So uh, where this gets kind of worst case scenario is let's say you buy a computer with Windows 10 and don't accept the licensing agreement, then you can't use Windows 10. Now, in that case, that would create a problem because you'd have to get a different operating system. On most other things, it just will restrict you from using it. So if it's a website's uh, license agreement, that kind of a thing. The other part of this where it gets interesting is all the updated license agreements that keep coming out. And usually if you decline them, what will end up happening is it will stop working at a certain date. So hmm. you're under the original license agreement until whenever. And after that date, you can't use the resource anymore. So that's basically what that kind of comes down to. In those cases, you have the option of accepting the agreement, not accepting the agreement, or attempting to negotiate your own with the vendor. And when someone's successful doing that on their own with Google or one of the big tech companies, please call us and let us know. I'd like to hear how that goes. <laughs> what is Google Fi? This question keeps coming up. We use it. We've been happy with it, I think, right? Yeah. Yes, yes we have. So uh, short answer to the question is Google Fi is a cell phone plan. It's offered by Google. You get to it at fi.google.com. It's actually a very reasonable price for every month, and they have a lot of stuff like the big companies with plans and different things. But the interesting thing about it is, is a Google Fi phone is capable of using different network providers. So like if one's stronger than the other in the area you're in, it can switch over to it, which is kind of a nice feature. They have Wi-Fi calling and all that kind of stuff. Selection of phones is a little bit more limited. They definitely push their Pixel phones. You can get Samsung, stuff like that. Um, as far as the Apple iPhone is concerned, you can bring them to the network. But they've talked about having it where you can buy them on the network and eventually will probably. But at this point, that's not an option. So, you know, that's basically what it's about. And it's kind of cool the way that it works. The other thing I really like about it, too, is it's meant to uh, integrate into the Chrome browser. So you can send texts, send and receive phone calls and all that stuff right from your computer as well. Now, I thought that um, you weren't locked into, uh, like your your device wasn't locked into something. Like if I if I didn't want to go stay with Google Fi, I oh, could uh, yes, go someplace yeah. okay, else. Okay, so the devices are sold unlocked. That is correct. 
So that's kind of nice. Yeah, it's kind of nice. And the only limitation you would have is as long as the Google Fi friendly phone, as they call it, would work with another network on their frequency. But it would be a technical limitation if you couldn't do it, not a software one like that. Is Amazon buying MGM? Yeah, this has been something that has been up on a number of different sites and a number of different people talking about it. I tried to reach out and see if I could get an answer uh, from somebody. Everybody either declined to comment or hasn't called me back yet. But the idea of this happening wouldn't be that unexpected with all that's going on with these mergers in the world. It looks like the deal is $8 billion with a B dollars. Uh, It is Amazon buying MGM. Now, the other thing I haven't been able to uh, confirm yet is if that's MGM Studios or the entire MGM system that owns things like the properties in Las Vegas and stuff. Oh, I see. Now, my assumption was probably the studios, but wow. Yeah, if it's also the properties, that would be intense. Yeah, so it's 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 either way, it's a big deal if this was to go mm-hmm. through. But if that's the case, it could be a really big deal. So if we hear something next week, maybe check in. And uh, as I get more information, I'll definitely share it. Is Coinbase down? Yeah, Jeremy, um, you know, these cryptocurrencies and things, Coinbase <laughs> is one of them. I know that you're really into this. And actually, you told me yesterday, this is the only way you handle financial transactions now. <laughs> yeah, somebody better have a really big uh, sarcasm sign for that. Oh my, I am not surprised at all if it's down. You, I know you hate these things, and it's like, <laughs> you know, what's going on is with, uh, it seems like this week uh, we've seen the currencies crash to half their value, at the very least, like on Bitcoin. And the thing of it is, is what's happening is there's a lot of trading going on. And yes, it is possible that some of the sites that handle these different Bitcoins are experiencing problems. It didn't look like it was down per se, but it is overloaded from the trading activity. So it's very possible that if you try to get on, you might not have been able to. Some of the resources may not have worked or they may not have let you log in at all because of those kind of problems. And it's not just Coinbase. This seems to be a problem across the board. Can you get older games on new consoles? Yeah, this is a listener question that I think is actually kind of interesting and a very good one because there's been some confusion around this. So what this comes down to is I buy a PlayStation 5 if you're lucky enough to find one, Mm -hmm. and I have PlayStation 3 games, or I have a Nintendo Switch and I want to play some of the old Nintendo games, that kind of thing. And it isn't an automatic thing where older games will work on the new console for a variety of things from the old cartridges not being used anymore to just the technology. But in most cases, they do make older games available for download through the various stores and markets on the different systems. Google, or Google, uh, Nintendo Switch, rather, uh, they hmm. don't, don't own that yet, uh, are um, looking at publishing 100, what they call retro games, you know, that type of a thing. PlayStation has the ability to get PlayStation 3 games. They were going to take it off, and everybody, uh, as far as the players were concerned, squawked about it, and they left it. So These type of things are available. It's not necessarily, again, across the board, everything that was ever made, but there is a good selection of older games available on the newer systems. Is Twitter going to start charging money? (laughs) Uh, You know, Gretchen, would you you pay for Twitter? I mean, in all honesty. No. I mean, (laughs) I know that I kind of feel the same way. I would certainly be willing to look at what the offerings are, but the answer to this is actually yes. Twitter has been talking about looking at a commodity version, there we go, of their system for a while now as uh, the regular use is waning a little bit. 
and they're looking <laughs> at charging $3 a month. Now, this wouldn't be for everybody. There would still be free access. And what they're doing is basically adding features like the ability to withdraw a tweet. You can delete one now, but to actually undo it, whatever that may mean, those kind mm. of things. So the idea of paying for social media in that way, I have no idea how that would work as far as being accepted. But it is definitely something that's that they're talking about charging for. And I don't know, you know, Facebook, Twitter, all of these different uh, social media platforms, I use them. I still have accounts on them, but they're just not a big part of my life anymore. Yeah, yeah no. too, They just bring a lot of stress, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a good way to communicate with people. I still use it for that, but that's about it. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week, boy. Cryptocurrency. Yeah. What's going on there? It's just uh, interesting <laughs> to watch. I'm glad I'm not invested in it. Yeah. <laughs> However, I do think, you know, just as a personal opinion, from what I'm seeing on Android 12, I like the updates. I think most of what they're doing is good. The biggest thing is going to be people that have to relearn certain aspects of it to use it. And I think mm -hmm. that's where the majority of complaints will come from, probably. Not the new features. The new features look good. So speaking of things that are new... Bad Batch is still going on. Do you still like it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Very much. Cool. So it's still... Now, is it still in production or is it finished for the season? Uh, no, there's going to be at least eight episodes and we're on episode four. So Okay, so we still have four more weeks. Okay, that's cool. Yes, yeah. I have yeah. not been watching it. I need to. I just haven't had time yet. So, but I Shame on you. And <laughs> yeah, that's about what I've been hearing through social media. Uh -huh. So yeah. <laughs> I will correct that eventually. All right, and there's another show that you said is Sherlock Holmes-esque or something? Uh, it's called The Irregulars, okay? okay? And so they've, they, what it is is they've taken Sherlock Holmes stories and just put a massive twist on it. Okay. And um, they have a bunch of kids that uh, they've added into the mix. And I think all of the actors are fine, you know? But if you are... And this is on Netflix, by the way. Sorry. Uh, and if you are a hardcore Sherlock Holmes fan, um, this is probably not for you because the charm of Sherlock Holmes is his almost strange Sheldon-like personality, and the and the character that is written for this version of Sherlock Holmes isn't anything like. Sherlock Holmes. Well, yeah. how would you describe this version? Okay, um, the in the books, the Irregulars or the the Baker Street Irregulars were Sherlock's group of like the the homeless kids or or the really poor people who are out there and they hear things or see things that the regular people don't want to know or talk about, and so Holmes talks to them, gets information. And um, that's where this, this is coming from. But in this, we have, it, it's like that, um, I can't think of the other TV show that was like the, like history, but kind of fake. Oh, the Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Yeah. So you have so, to, you have to suspend disbelief on historical stuff. A right. Bit. Okay. So, I mean, it, it, it works really well for me because the characters are great. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a whole lot more people of color 
and, and a whole lot more women involved and it works out, but Sherlock is, um, a severe drug addict and not really there for most of the show. And he's okay. more of like a beatnik <laughs> art person. I, I'm sorry. Somebody you should find at Burning Man. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. No, I just, it seems like diversity, no problem. Changing Sherlock right. Holmes. I is can a see big where problem. that could be a problem. Yes. All right. Well, with that, this is User-Friendly 2.0. Until next week, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.